0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fifth podcast in this series of podcasts by um, or interviews with MA students and PhD students in the Department of Geography in Maynooth. Um, and today we have um, Rowan Clerken, who is doing uh, the MA in Spatial Justice in, in Maynooth. And um, his topic or the why he's been doing research on is green gentrification. Um specifically looking at Dublin and uh, the greening policies that are kind of um, uh, in effect in Dublin and the kinds of unintended or possibly intended consequences that might have on on uh, residents in Dublin. So Rowan, uh, welcome um, and um, I'm glad you, you can talk to us about this important work and maybe you could just start by saying something about how you got interested in or what drew you to the the, the topic in the first place.
1: Yeah, th- thanks, Patrick. Um, I suppose I was drawn to the, the subject of green gentrification as I have an interest in learning about ways in which we can create a more sustainable city. Uh, so reducing the air pollution, improving the air quality, uh, creating a more environmental friendly city and I suppose ways in which we can learn about policies that help meet um, our energy and emission targets. And I, I live quite close to the city centre and I've always kind of supported this idea of green in the city and ways in which we can improve the physical and mental health of kind of individuals and the communities and when I first learned about the impact of these green strategies and, and, and improving the city and the negative implications of this I kind of wanted to do a bit more research and I've always had an interest in I suppose environmental injustice and inequality uh, the lack of power those communities can have in terms of resisting change to their environment, whether it be kind of the physically or economically, so so economically you can look at the kind of the, the bin charges like an interest in that and kind of water charges, so, so I like kind of thought these elements were brought together with this idea of green gentrification, so that's kind of why I initially looked at it.
0: Great thanks, um, and I guess the, the next question is what is green gentrification because Maybe people have heard about gentrification, but I would say less people have heard about green gentrification. So maybe you could just um, explain a little bit what that means. Yes, yeah, so uh, green
1: gentrification uh, is used to describe urban gentrification processes that facilitate in large part uh, by the curation or the restoration of an environmental amenity. And these environmental amenities can include uh, Improving the access to clean air, uh, cl- uh, clean water and the establishment of green spaces. Uh, so these green spaces could be uh, parks or community gardens. Um, and these green, green, green gentrification uh, processes kind of emerged in the late 20th century with the introduction of green policies across many global cities uh, to combat climate change. And while they, there are many, I suppose, improvements to these kind uh, of green policies, you know, it motivates people to exercise, it improves social relations among residents, and um, there are a lot of negative implications as well. So, historically disadvantaged residents ultimately become vulnerable to displacement. It can result in housing um, costs to rise, property values. Um, and it damages the social relations of neighbourhood as people ultimately become displaced. So chronic, chronically stressed, uh, it increases chronic stress and has negative uh, implications on uh, the kind of the long-term residents who are living in the area and there.
0: So it has negative implications on their mental health. Yeah, and I, I guess it's that thing that, you know, it seems on the surface, you know, that, that policies that are aimed to sort of make the city greener whether it's a park or whether it's, um, like you say, some kind of, um, you know, restoration of a wetland or growing trees or all those things seem kind of nice and positive and benign. Um, And as you said, since the 90s, cities have been, you know, a lot of cities have been trying to develop these. But the kind of underbelly of that or not even the underbelly, the less well documented, the less well covered uh you know social aspects of that is the kinds of effects it has on land value and and rent and and house prices and so on which displaces people and um i wonder you know if you could say maybe what some of the challenges are in in even researching green, green gentrification because i guess it's one thing to be able to like document you know a park being put in place you know it's it's you know it's, it's something that's done and it, it's it's kind of in a bit of an event it's got kind of a kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end, but maybe there's there's something about the, the kind of effects in terms of the green, green gentrification effects that are maybe harder to see or harder to, to research. Um,
1: yeah, like, I mean, I suppose that was a huge challenge that I kind of found when I was doing a lot of this research on the green policies that I'll talk about now in a second, um, because it's this idea that gentrification, it, it, it might not happen uh, really quickly, it, or it might happen slowly, and um, there's different variations, and there's a lot of factors that influence whether one area becomes more green gentrified than another, and um, and it's 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 not a, it's not simple, not simple to identify areas that have become um, green gent that have been in, in, impacted by green gentrification. Uh, I mean, as well, you have the massive crisis in in Dublin as well of a of a housing crisis that. It's it's, it's it's very difficult, I suppose, to to, to link the two. Uh, but one thing I did find is when I was looking through the the policy, the green strategies and policies in Dublin, there's not a lot uh, there to protect residents. So if it's all right, I might I might go into those and discuss those. I suppose those policies. Yeah, absolutely,
0: policies. absolutely. Go ahead.
1: Uh, So yeah, these greening policies basically aim to improve the environmental uh, uh, quality, as well as public health of a neighbourhood. So the Dublin City Council is finding new ways, I thought, to collaboratively deal with this challenge of climate change and the lack of housing. So they're they're basically regenerating the Dublin City region and they published uh, the they published Dublin City Council published its 2016 to 2022 development plan for Dublin City, with a vision of creating a sustainable, resilient, and a Dublin-based economy, while at the same time focusing on the environment and uh, equality. So this might this planting trees, re- regenerating parks, or building new parks, uh, providing small and large green spaces, and Providing i suppose spaces for community gardens um and the du city council was recognised as the benefits uh, and the need for a sustainable uh city uh providing access i suppose or providing clean air and better water water quality uh, so this kind of this this um development plan involved developing green infrastructure in urban areas. That also led to, I suppose, improving community spirit and and strengthening um, community relations. And these these policies benefited these ben- these um sorry, I start again. These policies aimed to benefit both in the the individual and in the community and the community as a whole, both physically, uh, emotionally, uh, and improving the social, uh, economic economic I suppose atmosphere within the city. Yeah, a, sorry, the Dublin City Council development plan set aims to ensure Dublin City is developed in an inclusive way which improves the quality of life for citizens while at the same time created a more attractive place to visit and work. So uh, a lot of their aim was trying to create a more attractive environment that I suppose that had the aim of creating uh, a more attractive place for investment. And communities were had also more an active role in supporting and in, ma- and in managing this initiative, a uh, green Dublin city response to climate crisis. Um, and another thing they kind of brought in was this idea of urban uh, urban based urban nature based solutions. So as I said earlier, climate change is significantly impacting uh, the city of Dublin. Uh, you know, you can see this um, Dublin's uh, seven days average sea level is rising much quicker than originally anticipated. Um, It has risen um, by twice the global average in the past 20 years. The number of days uh, heavy rainfall has also increased. You know, there's extreme uh, flooding events in the capital over the past number of years. Uh, And there are several policies and action plans were put in place to uh, challenge, uh, I suppose, these environmental um sort of catastrophes, if you call them, um, and not just Dublin City Council, but also uh, the south of uh, Dublin City, City Council, single County Council and Jalaksha, Rathdown County Council developed a Climate Action Plan uh, as a combined response, I suppose, to the uh, climate change in the Dublin region and this put forward kind of measures to protect and manage uh, and restore natural and modified ecosystems. Um, so some examples of these are kind of, I suppose, are rain gardens, um, which kind of reduce the spillage from kind of Victorian uh, sewers. The aim, Another aim, I suppose, was to kind of, this greening of the urban landscape kind of reduce the, the carbon and air pollution, as well as Dublin's energy, water waste pumping stations uh, and treatment plants so, they kind of wanted instead of pumping a lot of money in and, and putting a lot of infrastructure in, they wanted to introduce these kind of I suppose, greening greening measures to suppose, save money in the long term. Uh, I can, another example would be kind of the green roofs. So you can see um, it has a kind of multi functional nature based solution where it kind of reduces uh, flooding and it also cools down the buildings they cover. Uh, a second thing that I kind of want to discuss. Is the community gardens. So these are kind of a, a significant feature across Dublin City. So following the financial crisis, there was several vacant spaces uh, left, and Dublin City expand. Um, they kind of expanded significantly the accessibility for communities to use these uh, uh, to use these as a space to garden, and there was kind of elements uh, given through the. Um, so there was elements kind of facilitated so people were able to come together um and utilize the space um and it had loads of social and physical benefits. It increased biodiversity, um it uh, in uh, increased the bifurcation of the soil, uh, reduced air pollution, um an example of one of these is uh Werver uh, Square Community Garvin in the Liberties in Dublin eight. Um and the aim of this uh, project was to utilise a vacant space and make it more appealing for future uh, future development, while also providing a focal point for meeting residents. So it goes back to this idea of creating a more attractive um, space in the community.
0: Were you going to go on and talk about a third? Because you'd mentioned the, the first was the kind of green infrastructures or nature-based solutions, and then yeah. community gardens. And then was there a third? I was just going to briefly talk about um, tree planting and, and parks. OK, go for it and then we can kind of
1: come back and t- yeah. discuss those. Um, so over the past number of years, there has been several parks developed uh, in Dublin City, so Talca Valley, Poppin Tree Park Um also you kind of look at the kind of re-gen- or rejuvenation of historic uh, gardens and Jordan Squares in the city centre. Uh, so uh, kind of Miriam Square, Sandy Mount Green, Mountjoy Square, and um, and it's not just I suppose the residents that live that live in close proximity to these um, the, these gardens that have enjoyed the kind of regeneration of them. It's also kind of visitors and tourists too. So Duns City Council have also uh, improved the, the I suppose the capacity of parks, So now you're seeing a load of kind of sporting events happening in them, loads of international competitions. Uh, and uh, this this can be seen in kind of Saint Anne's Park, Herbert Park, um, and several, par- several parks across the city. have also seen the introduction of kind of cycling lanes, uh, the uh, a provision of Wi-Fi, and um, so there's been a lot of done. I suppose to improve and bring parks to um, there's been a lot done. I suppose to improve the quality of parks in Dunn city. Um, And as well as this, we're kind of seeing uh, a lot of planting of trees and kind of on, I think on average, there's over 5000 trees planted in houses across the city, Um, and a lot of work is done uh, uh, to look into the type of tree that should be planted in in some areas. So some areas might require smaller trees or bigger trees Uh, and trees are significant, I suppose, in the urban landscape. They improve people's health, the quality of air. They they reduce uh, they're like a natural flood defence I suppose they like they mask noise and um, and they promote a general sense of well being while at the same time they can add colour and beauty and they also kind of reduce skin cancer
0: Um so that's um that that's great you know it's it's really useful to identify those three different sort of types of green intervention the green infrastructures the community gardens and the the kind of parks and, and tree planting um and what you've kind of talked about there is is kind of what's positive about all those things you know and I guess that's through reading the the Dublin City Council uh, strategy document and, and 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 other related documents um but I guess if we're talking about green gentrification what you know what what are the kinds of you know, potential implications of, of of some of these interventions, and I guess the, the, the question at the heart of that is, you know, you mentioned community a lot, that, you know, that these interventions are, you know, to the benefit of the community, but, you know, w- what communities will benefit or, you know, um who are these interventions really for? Um, and I know that, you know, most of your work has been tr- doing an analysis of these documents, but maybe even from, from what you know, what's missing from those documents, um, you can, you know, make some make some kinds of comments on that. Yeah,
1: like, well, I suppose like these these large scale kind of green projects of the city um, kind of have led to the marginalisation or the displacement of, of, of particular groups. And like the the developers of these, of, you know, the dumb city development plan, you know, they didn't intend for this segregation, I suppose, or this displacement and marginalisation to to occur. But the I suppose the the question is, um, the kind of question that I suppose was looking at trying to I suppose to answer is like who who is it that's benefiting from from the green city, uh, and like can these green cities have the kind of positive implications that they are intended to, um, kind of creating a healthy, healthy, healthy kind of community, and I suppose this, this, this is something. I think it was Professor Isabel and, and Kolowski and 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 she kind of worked with James Conley, and this would they kind of looked to can green cities be healthy while at the same time not resulting in this marginalization.
0: Well, I I know that you can't. Um you can't say a lot about the kinds of uh, effects of these greening policies or strategies that you've just outlined that Dublin city council are, are looking to implement, uh, you know, because it's maybe too early and also because you haven't had a chance to do any, you know, real field work, but maybe you could say something about the experiences in other cities and the kinds of work that's been done around green gentrification that might help us, you know, possibly at least identify some of the, you know potential negative consequences that might come about because of these policies. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to note that the
1: developers of these green strategies and policies didn't intend for the marginalisation, displacement of groups. Um, but kind of the main question I want to kind of ask is like, who who is it that ultimately benefits from the green city, and who has the I suppose the right? Uh, in a way to live in a more healthy neighbourhood that has kind of plentiful green spaces, and I kind of the, the key scholar that I came across was uh, Professor Isabella Angulowsky. She worked with James Conley, so some of her work was done in, in Barcelona and the United States, and and she also uh, did some research in, in in Dublin, 8 kind of on the liberties as well, and kind of the question that the, uh, that she kind of poses is um you know can green cities be healthy and uh but at the same time not resulting in this displacement and, and, and marginalizations of uh, vulnerable groups, particularly the, the lower uh, income and working class. And kind of she kind of noted that there's been a lot of work done on, on the health benefits of green cities on green cities. Uh kind of the, the risk of cardiovascular uh disease mortality is four percent lower. Uh For residents that um, are exposed to green spaces in their place of residence. Um, But there's not a lot of research done, I suppose, on this kind of question of health inequity. And what this kind of refers to is the difference or disparity in health outcomes that is systematically um, affordable and unjust. So, like, how these health resources. White's like of green spaces are unequally distributed between different groups. So, what she kind of looked at in uh, kind of Los Angeles was who were the people that were living in close, to, uh, who were living closely to these green spaces. So she kind of found like two out of three kids uh, in Los Angeles weren't in walking distance of a green space. So this was kind of four hundred kind of meters. Uh, she also kind of looked at the race demographics, and um, she found that it was predominantly kind of white kids. Um, and she, I think it's also important to note that the the the, the size of these green spaces is important, and uh, to understand the kind of I suppose the de- the green gentrification happens for different reasons. Kind of it's kind of how these green spaces maintained will have a larger going of influence on whether people might become displaced or whether, sorry, this kind of green gentrification process occurs. Uh, and there's a kind of, I suppose, this kind of massive dilemma of whether green spaces should be this kind of pristine, beautiful space, or should it be this kind of um, green space that kind of fulfills the minority of residents that are living there? And I think that's something that is not in line with um, Dublin City Council's um, Policies there, looking at more creating, I suppose, this kind of pristine green space, and kind of what uh, Isabel and have found that if you kind of develop these kind of more pristine green kind of uh, spaces, it has a larger, it has a larger chance, I suppose, of green gentrification from from occurring. And um, so, I, like, I kind of should we be kind of questioning uh, developers and planners? Kind of sh- should they be kind of looking at OK, if we put these kind of green spaces and um, if we develop these green spaces, should we be looking at who will be living in this kind of space in five or 10 years down the line? Are we going to see similar patterns or trends that we've seen kind of throughout Europe and in America where kind of working class and socially diverse people and neighbourhoods become uh, displaced? Um, and is there kind of a danger of kind of this idea of pumping green spaces in, into the city and regenerating parks, I suppose, without thinking about the long-term consequences. So that's something that, um, that I kind of looked at um, and a lot of the literature on green gentrification looked at the uh, cultural social changes and the demographic changes uh, while also kind of considering how kind of real estate might be transformed, and how neighborhoods are transport transformed or rebranded uh, into these kind of uh, creative multicultural neighborhoods that upper that only kind of upper class and whiter residents can afford. Um, and there's a if so these trends these trends are happening all over, I suppose, Europe, and it's something that I think Dublin City Council, I suppose, needs to really take into consideration. Uh, kind of one of their uh. One of the kind of the case studies that I looked at, I suppose, was uh, the Liberties in and Dublin 8. They put forward the, in 2015, the Liberties greening strategy, which kind of had this kind of same idea, creating a more attractive um, residential area, which kind of introduced a load of green spaces. But if you, I mean, the, you can call it, I suppose, it, you can't say for definite, you know, the, the housing prices in Dublin 8 has gone up because of these greening strategies. there is definitely a a correlation between this. So like since 2018 housing uh, prices in Dublin eight has risen by uh, 7% uh, homelessness in the areas on the rise. You know unfortunately we're seeing a lot of uh, mothers becoming, single mothers becoming homeless. Um, And the the Liberties screening strategy I suppose was, was used as a marketing tool to uh, attract visits, uh, in, attract uh, investors and developers. Um, I found a quote by kind of a a a Dublin City Council uh, worker who kind of said the the green strategy was made the green strategy was to make it look like this is a good area for you to invest in, build your student accommodation here because next door you're going to get a park, you're going to get a nice horse uh, trial, you're going. We're going to clean up the mess. Nothing for the residents. So I kind of found this quite, and it was quite a, quite a shocking um, uh, comment, I suppose. So they were basically, it's basically tra- changing, I suppose, the the culture of the neighbourhood. It's 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 creating this green space. that isn't for the residents. It's for I suppose to create profit. That's I suppose that's what it kind of seemed to me. that Dublin City Council. Greening strategy seems to just be for complete to, to attract investment and to get profit. In like Dublin City, uh, sorry, Dublin, Dublin Eight is one has twenty five percent of all student housing, and um, and it's been built on the learning relation. And this student housing is 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 kind of suppose correlated to this idea of uh, creating kind of this of a more attractive and green and green space environment
0: that's um yeah that's really interesting and you kind of zoom in on that on that particular case and and the student housing and I think one of the things that that definitely resonates with in a couple of the other uh, research is done by um, uh, Sophie for example and done by by Rob is that you know that there does seem to be this this consistent uh, you know, logic, which is around uh, the state, in this case, the Dublin City Council, you know, uh, you know, d- designing, um, you know, green spaces or developing infrastructures or, 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 you know, whatever it is around tax policies. And a lot of it is about attracting investment, right? It's a lot of about, is about attracting, you know, flows of capital. And a lot of it is about benefiting, in this case, uh, you know, developers of student housing. Um, and I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, at least in, in in one respect, what you've traced out there is that you can't have both. You know, if you're going to if you're going to make the city green to attract investors around student housing, that's not going to be the same kind of green that is, you know, to the benefit of uh, existing communities. Um, and so there is a there's just a there's a kind of a basic political economy at stake there. Um I was wondering if you might just because we're kind of reaching the end, you could say something about how some of these critical scholars and I guess activists who've been trying to not just identify green gentrification but push back against it. Some of the kinds of um, proposals they've made or any kind of examples that they've been able to describe that maybe offer a different way of thinking about greening the city, because, you know, we want a greener city, we want a more climate resilient city, but we just, we, we also want it to be equitable. So I was wondering if you could just say something briefly about that to finish. Yeah, I mean,
1: I suppose the, the simplest solution would be, you know, introducing rent caps, um, providing more um, affordable housing and, and social housing, but that doesn't seem, I suppose, to be the case at the moment we have to, I suppose, look at different ways to, to find solutions. Uh, so like, is there a way to green a city and, and a neighbourhood without displacing its residents? And one of the kind of approaches I found that kind of looked at at, a, at this was this idea of a green enough approach that kind of disconnected uh, the kind of environmental clean-up from kind of this idea of a high-end residential and commercial development. And the, the green enough, uh, a just green enough a strategy kind of focus is uh, explicitly on the on the social uh, justice and environmental goals um with with including kind of the the kind of local communities so it's a more community involvement approach um, and I guess was the these are the people in the community that ultimately have been negatively impacted uh, by um, environmental disamenities. and um, so the, the goal of the the goal of this kind of approach is basically to to keep these environmental uh, amenity the improvements in place, while at the same time, uh not having the negative ne- negative implications of them, um, and that there was a there was this the just green enough approach was was a study that I suppose that was run across ten cities in uh, in the United States, um, and it kind of looks at kind of approach calls for the creation of small parks, I suppose. And, and nearby affordable housing, and um, in order to reduce the chances of this phenomenon of green gentrification from taking place, uh, and it, it looked to so the the kind of the study basically looked to see if if this kind of just green enough approach was a, a possible solution, um, and uh they kind of I suppose found that the the function and location of park. Can help explain whether na- uh, neighbourhoods will will be impacted by gen- green gentrification. So the the closer I suppose the 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 green space was to, to the city centre, that um the more likely it is to be green impacted by green gentrification. Uh, the kind of function as well, like I suppose if there's kind of transport um within within the area, it's more likely to um, Resulting, in you know, you know, these kind of people being uh, attracted, I suppose, to the area. Um, kind of new, new parks were also um, in kind of new parks, kind of led, I suppose, were a trigger point for green green gentrification. Um, and then there was differences, I suppose, to the new parks that were on the outskirts of the city again. So it goes back to this idea of the function and the location.
0: Um, well, that's great I mean I think that the key point there is that if I understand it from this just green enough approach is that the first thing is that you you have community involvement in the design yeah. of any of these green spaces yeah and then the second element from what I gather that was happening in these exam- these projects was that which I think is really interesting or important is the idea of designing green spaces alongside affordable housing yeah um I think it's- which which relates to the kind of idea of, a, of kind of a rent cap. If you have if you have housing that's built, um, you know, not yeah. for profit, but yeah, for a kind of a social housing. And I think it's
1: it's as well as it's a kind of this I kind of did the way forward, kind of with this kind of green, just green enough approach is, as well as kind of this idea of creating, I suppose, databases so they can model out and see. Okay, this this area, and you know, if you look at 008, it's like literally in the city centre. There's, you know, you have the you have the Lewis line. The more green spaces that you put into this area, the more attractive and more uh affordable, I suppose, housing prices in this area will become. Um, so its idea of I suppose slowly implementing these these changes, um, and in particular in the city centre, um, I suppose the the developers and the planners, uh need to be questioned more and there needs to be more community involvement uh involvement in this kind of environmental infrastructure
0: yeah um, absolutely and i think the liberties is a really good case where it seems the absolute inverse is happening like you say i mean the idea of trying to attract in investment and attract in uh you know whether it's workers or students from outside the area it's the absolute opposite of trying to develop green spaces that are for the existing residents Um, and I, I think it's, 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 you know, that's of a piece with, I guess, uh, you know, the development of Dublin over the last 20 years, at least 30 years. Um, but I, I think we've got, we've, we've covered a lot. And I think, um, you know, the connections that you're making at the end there about, you know, the need for affordable housing alongside green spaces links up well with Lore's uh, podcast, which is was also around a kind of urban environmental justice and the relationship between housing and the environment. And, I think, as also you've pointed out, there's a lot of research that needs to be done on this in Dublin where, you know, there is projects that are looking at nature based solutions and stuff, but not much at the kind of social uh, implications of that and the kind of spatial justice element of that. So thanks for kind of throwing a light on it and and sharing your research with us. And I hope you get to continue it in some uh, shape or form in the future. Yeah, and no, it was very really enjoyable,
1: and uh, um, I suppose it was kind of really enlightening as well to to learn. I suppose about about this because it's it's I suppose it's something that we're going to see more of. I suppose as we as we go on, kind of with the I suppose with climate change as well, it's really important. I suppose to to look at these implications.